This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. You know, so many times in our life, we, we get saved by grace and then we proceed to go through life thinking we must earn everything. That all the mistakes we've made, that I've got to do this and I've got to do this. Remember this thought here. We've been saved by grace through faith. I'm not saved by works, but I am saved for good works. Now, God is going to grace me to do that. Grace is an empowerment that will help me in every task of my life. So whatever you're called to right now, God will grace you. He'll help you with that. If you need a Bible, raise your hand up real high. To help some of you out today, I'm going to be in Romans 5, Romans 6, Romans 7 to begin with. So turn there with me. As you're turning there, let me give you some thoughts for the upcoming week. We're going to talk about grace, obviously, this morning. Next week, we get to go to Palm Sunday, which is going to be a great thing. Actually, we're going to go to Palm Sunday next week. We're going to go through Jesus' week of what happened Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. He went to uh, the Calvary, and then he rose from the grave two weeks on Sunday, We're going to hit all that. And then three weeks from today, we're going to come back to grace. But those are big things. Be sure to invite people. Remember, all these right here are people that you want to see saved to come to know the Lord. So tonight at 6, we're going to pray over these. And, you know, I've prayed over them every day. I come down here and pray over them. But I want you to think about this. You may be the only person right now on earth that is praying for them specifically by name. Look at it as a great honor. Actually, James 5 said, The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man avails. What an honor to pray for that. So I welcome you to come out. We're going to pray from 6 to 7 that these next few weeks are just going to be incredible for the kingdom of God. We'll see our loved ones saved. But before I get going here any further, I, I just want to say we're praying for Mary Roberts and Vicky and D.F. Uh, D.F. Roberts, Mary's husband and the daddy of the other ones, he went home to be with the Lord the other day. And I, I've gotten great glimpse of him, guys. I see him smiling right now. I really do. The Lord reassured that he's where we all desire to be. And he's at a place where there's no more pain, no more tears. And so we celebrate that. And so I encourage you to pray for them. Actually, we're going to have a memorial service tomorrow at 2. If any of you can come help us serve tomorrow about 1 o'clock, we're going to do some things with them so you can find out more info at the information table. Okay, Romans chapter 5. Start with me in verse 15. Apostle Paul talking. But the free gift is not like the offense or the trespass. For if by one man's offense many died, and that's talking about Adam, what Adam did. Much more, ooh, I'd highlight that right there. Much more, the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one man who sinned. For judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. So what happened with what Adam did? He, he introduced the world to sin, and you find out as a human being, and every one of us in here experienced this, that when we sin, there's a thing that ca- is called condemnation. And it comes after us, and, and condemnation 
is like just taking a ball ping hammer and just continually popping you over the head. And it's a continual reminder of all the things you've done bad. And so that was the result of sin. That's what condemnation's talking about. So he goes on to say this. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offense resulted in justification. For if one man's offense, death, reigned through the one, much more those who receive, not earn, but those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free will came to all men, resulting in justification of life. So you begin to sense this, that he repeats it and he repeats it and he repeats it. Because I think he's wanting us to get it. Now, when we talk about justification, the word justification means that, that we've been declared righteous. I'm not declared righteous by anything I've done. I'm only declared righteous because of what Jesus did. And it has nothing to do with me. Remember the scriptures say, I am the righteousness of God through Christ. So that's the only way that it's the free gift. And I say, all right, Lord, I just receive it. Verse 19, for as one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense may abound. Now get this, this is really good. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what I, I get here is the grace of God is greater than sin. And because of the grace of God, he's given us the ability to reign in life, to rule in life. Now, I'm either going to be ruled by life or I'm going to rule life. And the way I rule life is the grace of God. How do you receive the grace of God? Well, think about this when you get born again. You just ask Jesus come into your heart and you receive salvation by grace. Just that simple I believe grace is received the same way. That when we come to a place in our life where we realize, I, I can't fulfill everything I'm called to do in life. I'm stumbling. I'm struggling. Father God, grace me. Grace me as a man. Grace me as a mommy or a daddy. Grace me as a husband and wife. Now, in this passage here, he, he stops there in verse 21, but he picks back up in chapter 6. Look with me in chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then about all this? Shall we continue in sin, or shall we keep on sinning that grace may abound? Now, in no way, shape, or form is grace a blanket to say you can live however you want, and it's okay. How do we know that? Well, Paul asked the question, shall we continue in sin that may grace abound? And he answers and he says, certainly not. One translation says, of course not. So grace doesn't give me a license to live however I want. Grace is there to empower me to try to live godly or Christ-like. Now look how he ends this verse. He says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So the goal of grace is to get me out of sin, not to get me deeper into sin. Same chapter, chapter 6. 
verse number 10. For the death that Jesus died, he, Jesus died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, or in the same manner, you also reckon or consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the way Christ even died unto sin, he's telling us that's what we got to do. We got to die to sin. But I'm not going to be able to die to sin to my own, own abilities, out of my own nature. I can't do that. I'm not going to be able to fulfill that. This is where grace will even kick in. Verse 11, or verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal or your flesh, that you shall obey it in its lust. Don't let sin dictate your choices. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Now, if we look at that, you may have this question. Is that possible? That sin will not dominate me? He goes on to say, For you are not under the law, but you are under grace. The Amplified says, Sin shall no longer exert dominion over you. Now, some people right here, when you read, For sin shall not have dominion over, for you are not under the law, but under the grace, they interpret this erroneously, this verse to mean that it does not mean that as a Christian, I, I, I can disobey God's moral commands and it's okay. That's how that has been interpreted a lot of times. Well, I can live however I want. And sometimes we will tag ourselves with this and we'll say, well, I know I shouldn't be living this way, but thank God for His grace. You're seriously deceived if you believe that. That God in no way said, I'm going to grace you to do whatever, uh, whatever you want. No, he's going to help us here. So in this passage, this is the Apostle Paul talking. And oftentimes, we get saved by grace, but then we, we try to go on through life in our own abilities. And since you got born again, have you quit sinning totally? I'll answer that. In my own life, no, I haven't. No, I haven't. That thank God for his grace, though, that's moving me farther. Now, let me give you a little illustration how you can identify if grace is at work in your life. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm a lot farther than I used to be. That will show you right there that grace is helping me. And grace will continue to help you. But the same dilemma I'm talking about here, the Apostle Paul himself, the man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he's struggling in this same area. How do we know? Well, turn over to, to Romans 7. And we begin in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal or I'm of the flesh. Sold under sin. You know what that literally means? I'm a slave under the control of sin. Now look at Paul's thoughts here, verse 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. How many of you have been there? 
I get born again and I read the scriptures, but yet the very things that, that I want to do to please God, I can't do that. And the very thing that I hate about my life, that's what I'm ultimately doing. So Paul, he's, he's telling us, I'm in the same boat. I'm in the same dilemma as you. Verse 16. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, this is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. I don't understand. For the good that I will to do. Now, I want you to hold fast to the little phrase there, for the good that, that I will to do. When he talks about the will to do, in this area here, he's saying to exercise the will is to determine or to choose or commit to doing what's right. So he's telling me right here, I've got a part to play. I've got to determine in my own, my own heart, I want to do what's right. I want to do what's right. So look what he says when we go on. For the good that I will not to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that's what I practice. So there's a law of physics, and the law of physics says that anything in motion causes friction. Similar in our spiritual walk, anytime I begin to confront my flesh in any ways, it's going to cause friction. You know why? As a human being, for all our lives until we get born again, we're used to letting our flesh do whatever it wants. And all of a sudden, the Lord starts gracing us and we start telling our flesh, you're not going to do that no more. And God's going to grace me to help me in this. So he goes on to say, now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now in no way right here is Paul saying, I throw in the towel and sin is just going to dominate me. No, what he's telling me here is the call is to commit to godliness with relentless persistence. And I say, I'm going to live for God every day of my life, and God's grace is going to help me. How do I know God's grace is going to help me? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And, and what you see here with the Apostle Paul in this there's a conflict that's going on with him and him, just like me and you. And the conflict happens to be with my old nature, my flesh, against this new creation that gets born again. And it's like the tug of war that goes on and on and on and on. And so here Paul is saying, man, I'm trying to do everything right, but I'm not doing it. So watch what happens. We were here last week, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. And he said to me, my grace... My unmerited favor, my empowerment. I love what the skip guy said. He, he defined grace as God's crazy love. I love that. He said, my grace is sufficient. And the word sufficient is like a barrier or God's incredible ability within us. He said, my, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. The Amplified says it is made most effective in your weakness. The, the message says my strength comes into its own in your weakness. And so in this passage right here, 
We, we see the struggle with the Apostle Paul, and I believe I'm safe to say for most every one of us in here, the, the result of, of sin is our weakness. Anytime I get over in sin, it becomes a weakness. And Paul said to the Lord, he said, Lord, I'm doing my best. I'm trying my hardest. And, and the Lord says to him, but Paul, my grace is sufficient in your weakness. In other words, start believing me for my grace. Allow me to, to grace you in every area of your life. Now, when I, when I look at this as what he's talking about, Grace here is a God-given resource for me and you to live holy lives. I can't achieve it on my own. Only God's grace will help me. Now go with me into the Old Testament to the book of Genesis chapter 38. Genesis 38. Now often what happens to us is we feel unworthy to receive His grace. We feel like we're disqualified. And if you think about what Peter said there in that, he said, it's going to take me my whole life to pay you that back. I'm going to tell you today, right now, God graces sinners. God will grace you. No matter what you've done in this life, you're not disqualified from God using you. I thought I'd hear some amens. I give you a double amen in my own life. So what I did, I went and looked at people throughout the history of Bible, throughout it, men and women that had failed miserably. And I saw how God used them. So we pick up here in Genesis chapter 38, verse number 1. And it came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers. And let me give you a quick history lesson on this guy named Judah. Judah was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. When you hear the 12 tribes of Israel, he's one of them. So my thought is, golly, if he's one of the 12 tribes of Israel, this had got to be a great man. This guy was so great that Revelations 5, 5 referred to Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Do you know what that tells me? The lion, Jesus himself, came out of the lineage or the bloodline of Judah. So when we read that, we think, God, oh, this guy named Judah, he must have been incredible. Keep reading. So he, he departed from his brothers, and he visited a certain Adullamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of the certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he married her and went into her. Now, right here... When Judah departs from his brothers, he makes a huge mistake. What was that? In the Jewish custom, the Lord said, don't marry those foreign women. Don't marry them. You know why? The issue was with the women from Canaan, the Canaanites, they were notorious for idol worship. So when God said, don't marry them, the reason God said that is he knew that they would persuade his children to live differently. And in life, I'm not only responsible for me, but I'm responsible for my children. And so when I start living in a way that's displeasing to God, and, and I start getting mixed, mixed uh, teachings about who God is, it's going to cause issues. 
So we read in here, he marries this Canaan white woman. She has a son. The first son's name is Er. She has another son. His name is Onad. The next one is really pronounced Shiloh. So she has three boys. So in the same chapter for time, we pick up at verse 7. But Er, Judah's firstborn, or his oldest, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. Woo! You know why I believe this happened? I believe that that air became a product of the environment of his home, where he began to dabble a little bit in, in witchcraft and idolatry, and it said the Lord killed him. Thank God God graces us. So in Jewish culture, you know what happens? If you're the oldest brother and you die before you have children, the next brother in line gets your wife. Oh, happy day. Thank God I'm the oldest. No. <laughs> so guess what happens? Judah calls in Er's younger brother Onad and said, Hey, dude, guess what? You're the lucky winner. Of Judah's wife, I mean of Er's wife. Now, I didn't say this a minute ago, but when, when Judah picked a wife out for Er, her name was Tamara. Tamara was a Canaanite too. She was into idolatry too. And so what happens here is you begin to see how their family bloodline gets messed up. So now they call Onan in, and look what happens to him in verse 10. And the thing which he did displeased or was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Therefore, he killed him also. So Judah's got three sons. The first two that have any relationship with all, with Tamar, they die. So you're thinking, you know what? I don't know if I want my last son to have anything to do with her. So we pick up in verse 11. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house. In other words, go back home with your father. Remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shiloh has grown. For he said, Least he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. Now, when Judah told her this, he didn't mean it. Actually, he was procrastinating because he didn't want the youngest one to die too. So now this is where it really gets interesting. Verse 12. Now, in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. Man, I'm telling you, Judah experienced incredible death. You just look right here what's happened in just this chapter. So his wife dies, and Judah was comforted and went up to his sheep shears at Timnah. He and his friend hired the Adullamite. And it was told to Mar, the daughter-in-law, saying, Look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's garment, covered herself with a veil, wrapped herself and sat in an open place which was on the way to Timnah, for she saw that Shiloh was grown and she was not given to him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot because she could cover her face. Then he turned to her by the way and said, please let me come into you. So this guy named Judah, he propositions this woman. He thinks she's a harlot. So we keep reading. Some of you say, I can't believe this is in the Bible. Really, you know where you, you think you'd find this story at? When you're at the line at Walmart and you pull out the National Enquirer. You're like, yeah, that fits right in there. Keep reading. 
Where are we at here? Verse 16. Then she turned her by the, by the way and said, Please let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, What will you give me that you may come into me? How much money are you going to give me? What are you going to give me? So he said, I'll send you a young goat from the flock. What a payoff. So she said, Will you give me a pledge till you send it? Then he said, What pledge shall I give you? So she said, Your signet and your cord. Now understand that, that that was their identity back there, that signet or their court. It would be like me giving you my, my driver's license, my birth certificate, just everything that identified. So he gives the signet and the cord. Then he gives her his staff. Now the staff had a specific designed engraving in it. So when you would see the staff, you would see the mark on it, and it would be like a brand that was on a cow. You would know. Well, Chris Williams owns that. That's his. We know who that is. So he gives her all of that. Verse 19. So she arose and went her way, and she set aside her veil, put on the garment of her widowhood. And Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend, the Dolomite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he did not find her. Then he asked the men of that place, saying, Where's the harlot who was openly by the roadside? And they said, There was no harlot in this place. So he turned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also the men of this place said there was no harlot in this place. Then Judah said, Let her take them, the signet, the cord, and the staff. Let her take them for herself, lest we be shamed, for I sent this young goat, and you have not found her. And it came to pass after three months after that, Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has played the harlot. Furthermore, she was with child by harlotry. So Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. Judah throws a fit because she had disgraced his family. What's interesting about this, it was okay for Judah to go in to be with a prostitute, but it wasn't okay for her to be a prostitute. And so in Judah's eyes, he comes across that he's better than her. He's concealed his sin. What happens to us as human beings it's very easy for us to judge everybody else what they're doing. And you may say, well, I've never done this with a harlot or done that with a harlot. But understand in God's eyes, sin is sin. And every one of us have sinned. And I'll be the first to tell you this morning, if we had a highlight video that we placed up here on the big screen of all my sins, some of you would be appalled. I'm not proud of my sins, but I'll tell you, I've sinned. I've sinned. And I've sinned. Thank God right here that God's a God of grace. God will grace us. Be careful, though, when you conceal your sin and you act like you're so much better than everybody else. How many of us have ever done this where we try to categorize sin? Well, what Chris Williams does, he's a lot worse than me. Sorry, Chris, for using you. 
He's not. He's really a lot better than me, but that's what he gets from sitting on the front row. And so we try to line up all our sins and we think, well, you know, I'm better than Pastor Daniel. He does a lot of things worse than me. And so to a degree, you begin to get that with with old Judah. He's like, burn her, which was the custom in in Jewish time. Burn them. Verse 25. When she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law, she sent to him specifically saying, by the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, please determine whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Now get this. Here this woman is being drug out to be burned by death. And she says, time out, time out. And she pulls out the signet, the cord, and the staff and says, whoever these are, this will identify who the father is of them. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. In other words, your sin is fixing to find you out. So we read here in verse 26. So Judah acknowledged them. Judah acknowledged them. Now you got to get a couple things just with that phrase right there. If we were to go back to, to Genesis 37, 33, that, that phrase right there, she, he, he acknowledged them, is cross-reference. If you'll remember in the story when Judah was in, uh, responsible for what he did to his younger brother Joseph. Remember, they sold him as a slave. They took his tunic or his coat back to his father. And his father looked at the tunic and said, Yep, that's his tunic and his coat. What does that have to do with this? Judah received measure for measure what he had done to his younger brother. In other words, you're going to reap what you sow. But one of the keys here that you begin to get out of this, when he acknowledged it, he didn't cover it up. You know what he basically says there? He takes responsibility. He didn't say, I never did that. See, he, he who covers a sin will not be blessed. And so this is a change of heart in Judah's, in, in his heart right here. This was the beginning of a good thing when Judah said, all right, I acknowledge this is mine. Now look what he goes on to say. And he said, she has been more righteous than I. You know what I see right there? He puts on humility. 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, 1 Peter 5, verse 5 says, that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. God gives grace to the humble. Something happens to me and you as human beings When we come in humility and we say, I've blown it. I've sinned. I've fallen short of the things of God. Do you know James in James 5, he took that even a step further. He said, he who confesses his sin to one another will not only be forgiven, but he'll be healed. Something happens to us as human beings when we say not only before Father God, Father God, I've blown it, but something happens when we look at other human beings. It's the robe of humility. And in this passage, this what happens with this guy named Judah. Now, if we, we read on through there, verses 29 and 30, this woman named Tamar has two, two boys, twins. 
Perez and Zerah. Those were the two boys. You want to hear something that's freakish? How would those boys be raised as far as who is that guy? Well, we call him granddad, but he's really my father. I mean, you're talking about twisted. You're talking about bizarre. This is bizarre, and that's why I said a minute ago, this is a story that you look and say, how could this be in the Bible? But it is. Go with me to the book of Matthew chapter number 1. Matthew chapter number 1. Now remember as we're turning to Matthew 1, what the Lord said there in, in 2 Corinthians 12. He said, my grace is sufficient. Even in your weakness. And when we humble ourselves and we go before the Lord and say, Lord, I've messed up. I've done. I'm telling you, I, I believe it ushers in an incredible grace. This is going to be good news for us in here today. Because some of you have felt like you're disqualified. You, you've, you've felt like, man, I can never do anything good. And what ultimately happens with every one of us is when we mess up, the devil shows up. And the devil will tell you, you've done bad. You've done, you'll never get past this. But see, the, the message God wants us to know for his kids is, my grace is sufficient. No matter what you've done, not only if you fail morally, not only if you've disgraced your family, God is still the God who graces and takes messes and makes miracles. And I can show you over and over and over in the Bible from Paul, who, who said of himself, I'm the chief sinner. In other words, I've sinned unlike nobody else. But yet he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Look at King David. He gets over into adultery with Bathsheba. He has her husband killed. But God still used him. How does God do that? His grace is sufficient. Now watch what happens here in Matthew 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus. The bloodline of Jesus. Watch this. The son of David, the son of Abraham. And Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah. <laughs> this dude who had, who had children from his daughter-in-law. Freaky. <laughs> I, I chuckle at this because it just shows God's grace. Now, now watch this. And, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers, and Judah begot Perez and Zerar by Tamar. This Canaanite woman is in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. And so what you see right here is God will use you. You're not disqualified. But i got to come back under the grace of God and say, Lord, I'm going to live for you. And, and, and when you see there that God's grace right here, it's empowered me for me to do what's right, to live godly. And, and when you look at all this, the proof or the evidence of me being saved is there ought to be a change in my lifestyle. When people look at you, they say, you're not the same person. No, I'm far from perfect, but I'm a lot farther along now than I used to be. And let me tell you some of you this today, and this will help you. The promises are God's word, 
The promises of God's word are stronger than the sin in your life. When God said, my grace is sufficient for you in weakness, when God said, even though sin abounds, my grace abounds much more, it comes to this, I, I got to have a change of my heart. I need a change in my heart. And it took a wake-up call for Judah. But here's what you can get through all this. My life will be identified either by the sin in my life or the identity in my life will now come because of the blood of Jesus and his grace. I'll either be known on one of those or the two. I'll go through my life being identified with, man, that dude was a liar. That dude was a thief. That dude was an adulterer. He was a fornicator. Or there was a change in his heart. God graced him, and he lives under the blood of Jesus. See, that's the identity I choose. I'd stand before you, and I can tell you, every one of us in this room have a past. Every one of us, just like Judah did. And I don't know what your bloodlines would say, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and begot so-and-so, and all those begots, all they do for me is get me tired. But I want my begots to say that he ended up serving God. He ended up living for God. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.